0: The New Activist is presented by International Justice Mission, who remains deeply committed to the work of justice for the oppressed. To find out more about the work of IJM or to follow them on social, head to IJM.org. Well, this is The New Activist, a show that features conversations with activists and leaders who are tackling some of the world's biggest humanitarian issues from the front lines of injustice. My name is Eddie Koffeltz, and it is a joy to be with you today as we welcome our special guest, Joe Saxton. Joe Saxton is an author, speaker, podcast host, and leadership coach. She has dedicated really her career to growing leadership teams around the world and empowering women specifically to find their purpose in their personal lives and in their leadership. To that end, she has a new book out. It is called Ready to Rise. Own your voice, gather your community, step into your influence. Joe, in this book, tackles some really serious issues that women face, namely uh, workplace harassment, sexism, low self-esteem, financial woes, power battles and old wounds and she puts a lot of that in perspective and gives really good thoughtful ways to move forward in those realities. I really like Joe a lot and today she brings us into a perspective that I wasn't necessarily expecting we are going to talk about what's happening with race in America right now. And her perspective is so unique because she is a Brit, her family is from Nigeria, and she is a powerful voice amongst leaders. And so the way she processes everything Uh, was surprising to me and really helpful for me to consider. I like Joe a lot, and I'm glad we get a few moments with her now. Before we start, if you have not done so yet, could you please head over to the Apple Podcasts area and rate us favorably and review The New Activist? It is really the most powerful way to throw your support behind these conversations and allow others to get and be a part of the wisdom from our guests, guests like we get to hear from today, the fantastic Joe Saxton. Joe Saxton hello the first question (laughs) the first the first question is how are you um which is usually not a question that means anything is a throwaway but as we record this we are of course fully quarantined now still or partially quarantined or Mm -hmm. somehow the world has not opened (laughs) and so really like how are you in the midst of all this and how's your family doing
1: i i would say my teenage girls are a little bored um (laughs) to put it mildly it's been the longest summer since it began in march um Oh <laughs> <laughs> been home. It began in Indeed. March in snow in Minneapolis. Oh, um, yes,
0: it did. Uh,
1: you know what? I think we're okay. We're okay in the sense of, in the sense of, we are used to, increasingly used to how we make our little world work. Hmm. Um, but there are times when there are moments where I suddenly miss something. Like I, I plan to see relatives this year. I'd planned to see my mum in London. I had notions of going to see my brother and my new niece in Hong oh, Kong, yeah. and that there was a moment where I where I kind of stood still and thought, actually, that's really hard. That's that's the hard one, hardest moment of the of this for me right now.
0: Yeah, isn't that over time? It it it, it was one thing to be locked in your own house and to not leave the house, mm-hmm. but then when the realization that you can't go to a place happens, yes. when when th- those kinds of losses are uh, are, are very real, aren't
1: they? Yeah, they're the things you kind of take for granted. And we're talking to family more, which is great, and, and doing all those fun things. But the fact that you, I have no control as to when I'll see people right. face-to-face, when I'll um, connect with them physically, that that caught me in a way I didn't expect.
0: Plus, who would have ever thought, I mean, when this started happening in March, I mean, maybe you did, but I thought certainly a month or two. But we're we're rolling through summer now, and it's... It's not going, it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And uh, yeah, yeah, that longevity is hard to deal with. It's
1: my, when my, I first heard about COVID from my brother in Hong Kong. And I remember sending him a text and saying, hey, do I need to be worried about this stuff? (laughs) Do I need to be worried about you in it all? And he sent me a picture of the grocery store and the shelves. And he just said, Joe, um, and my brother's not dramatic.
0: Um, Right.
1: He said, Joe, this isn't just here. Oh yeah. And I thought, well, I said, what do you mean? he said, it's not just going to be Hong Kong. And I thought, yeah. oh... Uh, this is going to be a
0: thing, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: and, and so it was this sobering moment, which he he kind of suggested. And then I thought, oh, goodness. It kind of... Then it just seemed to overtake the world and different family members at different times in the month kind of thing. We- yeah. Weird. So uh, the,
0: the other part of how are you mm-hmm. is uh, the most loaded question that you can start an interview oh. with is that we in this time even as, you know, at the time of this recording, uh, the U S and the globe are, uh, in the middle of a, of a movement birthed yeah. by the outrage, uh, and the death of so many black Americans. And so how are you, and where is your processing with that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think when May was a tough month, yeah. um, with learning of Ahmaud Arbery's death, learning of Breonna Taylor, and then, um, George Floyd's murder Mm. and i mean i couldn't watch i can't watch videos i i just cannot i'm not saying anybody else shouldn't i just cannot do it Mm. and i think the most surreal moment for me was talking to my mum as the protests and the uprisings began and then as um riots took place and she called and she just said what she goes okay minneapolis is a city she goes how close are you (laughs) and um and I said, and I, it was this really surreal, laid back conversation. I said, you know, Mum, you know, when we talked when we were living in London and the Brixton riots happened, we, I was only yeah. three miles away. I said, now I'm 15, I'm 20, I'm not close. And I said, and and then we talked about and we talked about police brutality, and she talked about one of our, our relatives, well, a couple of our relatives who'd um, who'd experienced and had out of court settlements. That's the level mm. of brutality that happened to them. Mm. And I just said, mum, it's 40 years. We're talking about the same thing in the space of 40 years. And the fact that there we were chatting about this thing nonchalantly, um, about police brutality, about systemic racism, about inequity in communities. And here she is in her 80s talking to me about this. About some, and our reference point is another lived experience, is another lived experience. Was the most sobering moment where, for me, where I thought, and so how how are we doing on changing the world right now? Right. How how's that going for us? Um, That was that was this collision of past and present, and then thinking in forty years' time, am I going to be talking to my daughter and saying, "So how close are you?"
0: Right. That this is just a generational, or many Mm -hmm. times in a generation, very common, fairly unsurprising, yeah, movement, and 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 the, the commonality of it is so heartbreaking.
1: Yeah. And just I think that has been the the you, one of the things I hear from my African-American friends, from right. my black British friends is tired. We are beyond tired. <laughs> um, and there's no other it's hard to convey the depths of tiredness and the depth of weariness and the depth of exhaustion and the depth of being unsurprised about this moment as well.
0: Can you describe more? I think I know it, but I don't want to pretend I know anything. Tell me, can you tell me more about that tired? Because I hear that word over and over again. Mm -hmm. Can you help unpack a bit the tired? Yeah,
1: I think what for me and I, and I, and I'll I'll say for me, because obviously in my experience, I come at this as a am a black Brit. I'm a Nigerian Brit, which means my history is different to the live history of an Mm -hmm. African-American in terms of what it went. When I think of my grandparents, it's a different story. It's a different continent. It's a different experience. However. um, And so I'm sure there'd be a a broad range of descriptions on this one and and responses to this question. But Mm -hmm. um, for me, I, I am tired of names being reduced to hashtags. I'm tired of seeing and, and seeing a ha- seeing a name or knowing there's a video and and seeing somebody's murder, um, or death and watching the outrage and then a few days later, some story about past criminality is that as though that's somehow some justification and then some, the debates about whether somebody complied. And all, and um, was compliant in that, and then um, it's this. I'm tired of the, the, of the arc of it. I'm tired mm. of the injustice, obviously, that leads to it. I'm tired of the arc in the news media, knowing that this is not the last. And mm. so it feels so, inc- it, it feels so earth shakingly significant, and yet it will be reduced to another part of the news cycle. The one, and that's the stories we know of. And I think for me, it's the how long. D- I, I mean. I, I don't need to explain to anybody or, or the question is, how long do I need to keep telling the people? We do not experience the world in the same way. Mm. We may live in the same country. We may live in the same city. We do not experience it in the same way. So my kids have, my eldest is having driver's ed. Well, part of driver's ed for me with her is let's have the talk. Let's have the talk. And when I said to her, let's have the talk, she shook her hands out of her pockets. She put her hands on the dashboard and she said, my pockets will be empty. My hands will be on the dashboard. They'll be able to see everything. That was her instant response, Eddie. Oh, sure. And she's 14. Right. Well, that's my normal.
0: The talk is her keeping herself or trying to keep herself safe in the event that she gets pulled over because she is a black woman.
1: And so she said to me, we do our highs and lows at the table. Um, at dinner times. And, I, and she said, what's her high? And she goes, my high is that I've started driver's ed. My low is that I'm kind of nervous now. Why should she have to feel that way? Well, do, 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 do you know what I mean? Um, why should she have to feel that way? What? And, and right. so I think for me, the tiredness is the talking to my mum and knowing the experiences she's had um, and knowing the experiences our family lived with and knowing the experiences my friends lived with and not being believed, talking to people, trying to explain to people and not being believed or being marginally believed. And then here we are again doing the same, 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 same. And I'm like, I'm, I shouldn't have to prove I'm equal. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know I, mean? right. I shouldn't right. have to prove I'm equal. And then the tiredness of, of watching, uh, of seeing a family go through grief and thinking, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning of the grief. And knowing that even as I mourn, I have a sliver of what that family are enduring and will endure for the rest of their life. That, I'm tired of that.
0: Yeah, that is exhausting. Thanks for unpacking it uh, f- for us. Do you other guests in previous weeks as we've been recording during all of this have talked about the fact that this is though possibly a different moment. Um I don't know, obviously. But what what do you think because I hear you and you're coming from a totally different lived experience you're coming from you know, you've lived in the UK, you've lived, right? You've lived outside of the US. And so for us in the US, or more specifically, for a lot of white people in the US, this is like a, whoa, this is a whole thing happening. Do you, is there any part of you that resonates with like, this is a new thing? Or is this just the cycle of repetitive history coming back and repeating itself? And we move forward?
1: I would like to think this is a new day and there have been things that have really encouraged me. I went we went to a protest near our our local protest and me and my eldest and we're like, who's gonna be there? (laughs) Yeah and it was really encouraging to see to 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 see so many people who didn't look like me, to see um white members of our local community and Asian members of our community and Latino members of our community all all there um protesting together. And so that was encouraging. But am I hopeful? Time will tell. I'm very much time will tell. Um, and I don't know whether that's because I can't see it, because I'm not as familiar, or whether I'm just. I think, uh, to be honest, Eddie, I think the conversation with my mum has has so defined my lens right. um, Right. that I'm like, time will tell. I, I I genuinely want to believe this is different. I genuinely want to believe that this will go beyond sentiments and will go towards the dismantling of systems. But time will tell. I know people get. I know crisis fatigue is real. I know people get uncomfortable. I know. Um, I've seen people want to change before and with their best intentions, not have the energy to, to do a marathon on this. I see, I see people go so far until they get offended, until they get offended until it's inconvenient until it's sacrificial until someone says, well, you don't want to go so far, or you don't want to to think the wrong thing. And I see the debates and the debates and the, and the conversations and the reasonings and or someone who wants to play devil's advocate and it's like why do you want to advocate for the devil? It's the devil kind of thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I and I don't I don't know. I want to believe it, but I feel like I need to prepare myself and prepare my children for a world that doesn't change
0: for for a long haul because for, you've oh, seen definitely. This. Yeah. I'm assuming
1: yeah. the long haul even if there's a change. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming long mm-hmm. haul.
0: It, it is interesting because i just as of this morning i'm looking i was looking at the main newspaper sites in the uk and every single one of them has a a tab a special section dedicated to i mean one said george floyd on it which i thought how wild must that be for like to for his family to see around mm. the world, his name has become this whole other, yeah. taking this whole other meaning. And, and I'm sure that there's complexities to that and remembering the person. But in any event, the world is talking about this right now. Yeah. Um, You know, Formula One driver. Uh, you know, is painting his yeah. car black and honor black. This has made its way out of the U.S. And so I'm curious from how you. Uh, from your upbringing, from what you know, and from kind of your worldly perspective, how do you interpret the UK's response as it sits on top of their own very uh, difficult
1: history? Yeah, I mean, I, I, to be honest, it, it took me a minute. <laughs> it took me yeah, a minute. Yeah. When I saw the protests in England, and um, yeah. I, I the first feeling I felt was anger. Oh, really? I felt really, really angry. And I, and I was like, I would go for these long walks and I'd be like, God, why am I so angry at this? Why am mm. I so angry? Because it's absolutely right that this um, this injustice is communicated as widely and as loudly as possible. Um, but and it took me a while to process. And I remember checking in with my best friend who's who lives in London. And I said I feel really angry. Hmm. And I said, "Do you?" And, and she's like, "Yeah, I know what you mean." And 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 I thought, now, now you're recognizing that people are dying in in police custody. There are yeah. there are. Um, there are english names alongside george floyd's name there are there are injustices I, th- I thought you don't get to be disgusted at america today i think that was my fr- that's probably my in my most raw in my most raw and my most grieved i thought you don't get to you don't get to do that today um was was probably the, and i'm not i'm not that's the only way i could articulate it and i thought there are multiple if you want to talk systemic racism in england let's have a talk <laughs> you mm, know what I mean, yes, if you yes. want to talk police brutality, let's have a talk. Um, if you want to talk about injustice and monuments and all of these things, let's have a talk. And so that was my—I had this visceral, this intense, and I didn't see it coming. I really didn't. Mm, I didn't. Right. I didn't expect to feel that way, but I think that was the uh, my most raw. And and then as the as the church in england started talking I, then i got then i got even angrier right. <laughs> i got um, even really, angrier. Yeah. yeah i got even angrier um and you know i mean we know anger is a secondary emotion it's to do with you know what i mean fear or pain and and um i it was pain it was pain and i just thought oh and now you're now you want to talk about racism great where were you 20 years ago now i'm, I'm really glad you've got language for this but hmm. but we we have been telling you this for decades. We have been using words for decades and there has been tone policing and if we could say it in the right way and the expectation of assimilation and now you want to talk. Um, which again <laughs> yes, then yes. I thought, perhaps I'm not the <laughs> perhaps I'm not the best person to talk to you about these things right now. <laughs> um, again because it was visceral. I didn't see it coming. I didn't hmm. and and I didn't um, I mean, I had friends who would text and say, "Have I not seen things clearly?" And I'd be like, "Nope, you haven't." And I had nothing else to say. <laughs> and, um, yeah, um, it, it was really hard. It was really hard to see it because I think it's something I had longed to see in all the years I'd lived there. I mean, I, I left them. I left England at thirty, um, wow. and I've, I've lived in the states for sixteen years. And so I, I'm like, you know, we had stories. We had stories of racism and systemic racism we have stories of abuse we have stories of brutality we have yeah. stories of injustice um they're different stories and they they are there are different problems because every context has its own tale but there, but england has a tale mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it has a tale and so th- i think that's what I'm, my initial visceral reaction was that and in time since i probably began to feel other things as well
0: in the midst of this, and thank you for for sharing all of that perspective um, and processing it in kind of in real time. Like, I, I appreciate so much about your voice, and you've been kind enough to speak to the IJM staff. You really don't put a bow on things out mm-hmm. of, of, right? Like, you don't feel the need to put a bow on things. You like, here's where I'm at, here's where I'm processing it. And part of that is that in the midst of all of this, you, re- you released a book. So many people didn't, right? Decided not to release their book, yet your new book is particularly salient to the moment. Um, and it's called Ready to Rise, and it tackles the real, like real life honest to God issues that women face, things like workplace harassment, sexism, low self-esteem, financial woes, power battles, etc. Like there's a there's an unfortunately long list that could keep going. And yeah. in this book that you released in this season you really tackle the imbalance of power head on. And so why now? There was, there was this was a decision. Why release this now?
1: Um, you know, I don't know on one level. I, and it's <laughs> funny, when you write a book, it's so far removed. Did I, did I anticipate a global pandemic? No, I did not. No, no,
0: no. <laughs> did I, right.
1: did I exp, um, anticipate that it would be, that there would be elements of it that would speak? Like I, there's a part where I write about when I'm asked not to say Black Lives Matter. Um, because um, when we are in the process of planting a church, because it was off-putting to some people, right. and and I th- and I remember contemplating whether I was going to put that book, part in the book itself. Yeah. Um, and and so I, it's, it, they're just these kind of moments where you're like, oh yeah, I guess I guess we're still here. Um, hmm. I, yeah, I. The hard thing is. We're, we're, the, the issues that you've mentioned have always been happening, and I think things like 2020—I mean, a year that will just be known as 2020 for us to right. all know how terrible it was—right?
0: It um, defines itself. It at this defines point, itself
1: yeah. um, a bit like 2008, but with speed,
0: <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> with speed, and
1: other things thrown on top and fire. Right, right, right. Um, I, I, I think when we it, we look at this year, we realize it's exa- it's it exacerbated things that already existed, injustices that were already there fault lines of brokenness within the way things are done that were already there. Um, and so to that end, hopefully it is relevant um, because I think we do have to work out for those of, for, actually I was going to say for those of us who are people of faith, but I'm going to say for us as human beings, you have to work out how you respond to the challenges and the opportunities of your day and um, what your voice will be in it, what your stance, not just your stance, what your learning will be in it, what your action will be in it. And I think there are in this time I've noticed that many people who wouldn't have called themselves leaders have been forced to confront whether they have a voice. I've been forced to confront, you know, here we are. I don't know whether I'm a leader, but now my, I'm homeschooling. I'm working full time. I'm taking care of relatives and I'm doing it all virtually. And then I'm watching these uprisings and thinking, um, this is wrong. So, yeah. <laughs> and so right. what am I going to do? And, and so I, when I think of ready to rise, I think it's, it reminds, for me, it's a reminder that we have to respond, mm. yeah, and more than intellectually, more than philosophically, because the things that are happening in our world are not philosophical for all of us.
0: Yeah, ultimately, this book really is about empowering women to change the landscape. Yeah. Um, well, is that fair? I shouldn't summarize your book to you in that way. <laughs> no, is good. that fair? Okay. It's good.
1: I'm, I'm verbose, so I like it when people summarize it. Um, okay. I think it is. I think it's what I, I want to in encourage women. And I deliberately centered women's stories because often in leadership books, we don't see women's stories centered. Um, and so on one, it's not that it's not for men, but often it's it's like when I've read leadership books, I've had a great insight into a male world and often a white male world um, and, and great leaders, fantastic nuggets, but not necessarily a story that I would like I've had to kind of convert certain things and say, okay, what does that apply when I don't have a wife who's looking after me in that area? Do you know what I mean? And and again, it's not irrelevant. It's just not my story. Um, and so I wanted to write a book which reflected women's stories. And I know that even then I'm not respect um reflecting the full scope of as many women as as even the women I have the privilege of coaching and and getting to connect with, but I wanted to put something into women's hands to say, look. You've always had a contribution to make. You've always had gifts. And it is time to stop hiding those gifts and calling it humility. It's time to stop um, second guessing and all of those things. And if these can be resources that can help you address the things that you're going through, give voice to the experiences, then it's time to get up and do something. And, and that may start with your own life. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, saying yes right. to the way you've been wired and saying yes to the situations and saying no to some of the dysfunctional things in your world. But it's important that you rise because yeah. um, the world suffers when we don't.
0: That's right, and we've seen this, right? Given the landscape yeah. that we are living in, in this moment, right? The Black Lives Matter movement was started by three women. Three women, and yeah. so, so from your position where you are surveying this, thinking about this, writing about this, like how do you see women influencing and like realizing this this leadership
1: i mean i think i think whenever someone is given access and opportunity and investment we get to see their gifts flourish and so um so for me when when someone is someone is told that they are worthy that they have talents that they but also not just in a kind of um self-actualization look in the mirror and feel good about yourself don't get me wrong i'm game for that but right. more than that, I mean a contribution for human flourishing. Then I think what that brings is um, it, well, I think it brings scientific discoveries and art and movements and businesses and all of that. But with an awareness of the world that isn't always true in the current things that we're seeing on the landscape now because of a different lived experience. I think it's healthy. I think statistically the data shows it's healthy to have diverse leadership um it not only is it good for your bottom line it's good for your innovation it's good for your creativity it's good for your ideas it's good for your consideration of your audience your market when you have um, men and women involved in things not at, at every level and so i guess right. when i'm looking at when i'm looking at women and looking at the, the sheer scope of their gifts and abilities and ideas it's like what would it what would we see if they actually did them <laughs> if they felt free to do them if for all the dreams that are locked in somebody's mind because they're worried they're too much or not enough or arrogant for thinking it. I'd love to see those ideas on the other side of that locked mind out there in the world.
0: It dawns on me, everybody who writes is basically writing the book they need to be reading in some way. And you're so deeply personal in your writing. I'm curious how your own leadership journey has either been, uh, you know, as you said, affirmed and spoken into or or the opposite, right? Not affirmed. And you have been felt like you were not a valid voice at a table and how that was, how that lived experience was brought into this.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I found it in different chapters of my life. I think as a kid, um, in the eighties in England, um, and, and an immigrant child, Then you know, my parents moved to England in the sixties. I think there was very much a perception of immigrants. Yeah. Um, sadly, some things haven't changed. Um, and, and t- over here taking our jobs. And even, and I can't even remember when ta- pe- things were said directly to us like that. But I think just the the noise of tabloid worlds, um, the headlines you see on a, on a paper, um, the fact that you, you felt other, whether it was not seeing myself on TV, not see, or people who look like me on TV, or not seeing myself in magazines, not seeing my... Do you know what I mean? All of those things. That, that, the, the, the world I was in was communicating a message without anybody saying a word. So I think part of it was if we are these children of immigrants who are taking jobs, then what? who am I anyway? And and I think it took me a while to realize how much that had impacted my expectations. Not expectations of myself, but whether I thought I'd have a chance. Um but I, I think there were some key teachers when I was at school who were great for me, who saw potential and saw gifts. I mean, I, um, from uh, alongside my family, in terms of the anticipation that yes, it's going to be harder for you, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. Um, and almost think, well, I mean, very much. I mean, being sat down. I remember my aunt sitting me down about seven, and she's like, "Yeah, it's going to be tough. You're a woman and you're yeah. black." you're going to have to work twice as hard. She goes, it's not the same for you and your friends. Uh, and so it was very clear that it wasn't a fair world, but it was also very clear that we, you weren't going to cower to that world either. Um, you were just going to find your, your way through. Um, I think in my 20s, again, I, I mean, at I, I, different eras there were different leaders who either saw gift or saw potential who encouraged me, who gave me opportunity. I think there's been this thing of access to... Um, good leaders and environments which cultivated and celebrated you as well as tangible opportunities to learn, grow and fail, I think have have marked my life. Um, As well as dealing with people who were insecure around you and who were threatened Mm. by you or who tokenized me or, and and thinking that doesn't feel good. (laughs) Like knowing what feels good and knowing what doesn't. Um, Knowing when it's when you're being included and whether you, whether you're there to make somebody look good, having conversations about pay and say and making sure that things are equitable um, they're difficult conversations and and having having to look at an opportunity and say who's doing who a favor here because you're presenting it like you're doing me a favor is that true um, or what, what's what's the landscape i'm I'm learning to navigate just lots of learning lots of, and and I think're you're, you're right i I wish there had been I wish there were certain things that were normalized when I was younger. Right. I really do. I wish um, there were, there was a lot of time wrestling with ideas and feeling guilty for having ambition, feeling guilty for, because I didn't feel like I fitted into the, whatever the perceived archetype and very much the perceived archetype of a good Christian woman. Um, feeling like my, I mean, I grew up in a family of generations of very strong women. So it wasn't like I felt it in my family, but I felt as I left my family environment and went into various parts of the world, I'm like, do I need to be quieter? Do I need to be more subdued? How's that going to (laughs) work? I don't don't know how I'm going to do this. And times when I literally didn't take hold of the leadership gifts I had because I was trying to give it away to somebody. I, I and think, and I'd look for people who would take over from the things I was doing, because then I would be away from this burden of being too much.
0: Yeah, there's part of this that strikes me, you know, from the beginning of our conversation where we're talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, and you're basically sharing like, we're still having this conversation? Like, this is, of course, this is continuing. Like, you saw this mm. as a child, you see this as an adult. Part of me strikes the same way of we're talking about the... Equality, inherent value in women. And the fact that you even have to write this book is a it sometimes strikes the same chord. And and does it strike the same chord? And you, I guess, pose it as a question where we're like, are we still having this conversation where we have to affirm the equality inherent in all people? Like we're still doing this.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, we are. Because and I think for me, I'm less, I'm less kind of surprised partly because i coach women leaders all the time and so i hear the stories i hear the stories of women who've been told to lose weight if they want a promotion i hear the i hear the stories of women who've been told that they're eye candy and both of those organizations i'm talking to are christians i um (sighs) do you know what i mean they're told they were eye candy and they were there for the older guys there i've seen the stories of women who have had their ideas stolen and uh, other people who other people have used them or whether they've been the backup plan and asked to prepare stuff for somebody else to share and that not be remunerated in their job and that not be part of their job description. I've, I'm, I know it's needed because I've met these women weeping and frustrated and angry and bitter who'd never wanted to be that way, but who have been so broken by the leadership journey. They're done. They're just done. Um, And, and so I, I guess I'm not asking if it's still a question because I already know that answer.
0: <laughs> right. You, and you see it all the time and you're hearing about it. And this is mm-hmm. so much of the world that you yeah, uh, you work to correct. Um, this is a self-serving question uh, as we <laughs> start to wrap up our time, but I hope it helps others. Uh, but I get the opportunity to parent to young women. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm curious if you have any tips, anything I can be doing, anything I should avoid to help them lean into their leadership and the 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 fullness of of who they are
1: yeah, I think one of the things that my husband and I have been very keen to do with my girls who are teenagers now is to yeah. surround them um like we we knew that even even now the in their in their schooling there's not enough access to images of women who are leading and and particularly images of um women who look like them um yeah. so there's a conversation we're having with their schools about that <laughs> on a systemic right. level right. because. Yes. You know, I mean, um, definitely, and appointments that aren't, have been made, but uh, as an ongoing thing, the books that are surrounding them, the, the, um, we've normalized certain things for them. We deliberately, like, we deliberately ensured they had female doctors, partly because I wanted them to, it to be normal that women were doctors as well as nurses, and they have, you know what I mean? I, they were, they were just not that, not that um that i mean i have a male doctor it's not like i i'm anti them haven't i I just wanted them to see that as part of their norm yeah um i wanted them to see leadership as part of their norm and to be used to seeing women leaders so the books that they're reading the access thing they have the things whenever they have an idea we are all over it so they started a business when they were like eight and nine picking up the poop in the the dog poop in our local neighborhood and we kind of we've we said we said, like you started your first business. this is amazing. This is so wonderful. Um, we're really excited for you to start that business and let's go and we'll help you do things, but you're going to do that. you're going to be the business leaders in this and just cheering them on and letting them know things are possible for them. Um, wh- when we see a hobby, when we see an interest, we, we invest in it because we, we tell them those things are worth investing in. Um, we, uh, we're making sure that the people who are their role models, whether even, even the women who are their babysitters, um, and that are people who are speaking into their lives and showing and showing them a range of gifts and abilities um, across the board that those things were important for us as they were younger. Now, as they're getting older, again, we're continually having those conversations about how do they want to engage with the world? What what does they how do they want to protest what they see in society and how can we support yeah. them in that? Things like that, that I think it's just an ongoing conversation and the continual encouragement not to make themselves small, not to be embarrassed for who they are, how they're wired um and their talents and their abilities and to keep on celebrating them i want them to go into environments when they're older when i can't be be there and when i'm not when it's not appropriate for me to be there because it's their job to know um that um to be able to recognize when an environment celebrates them versus when an environment tolerates them versus when an environment discriminates against i want them to be able to know that because they've encountered that throughout their life Um,
0: What, what an absolute fine line that is between those three environments and also what a place of privilege I get to sit in and that it has never occurred to me that any environment isn't very excited to have me, right? (laughs) As a white dude, right? Middle upper class, Christian South, I'm a big guy, right? Like I've got, I've got it all going for me, right? Every, every power position I'd ever want. And it never has occurred to me to ask that question of the environment I'm in, um, Yeah, it's fascinating. Thank you for um, self-serving, allowing that self-serving question. I guess the last question is the same. Um, As you survey the landscape and lead so many of us, uh, we've been talking a lot in this series about how to actually be a part of any meaningful action change in in regards to the the Black Lives Matter movement that is happening. And I'm curious if there is anything that is from your perspective, that, that we can actually be doing that is actually helpful?
1: Um, I think I'm struck by the actually doing. Um, I heard a friend of mine, um, huh. Jenny, say, she put on an Instagram and she said, I'm, I'm worried that listening and learning is the new thoughts and prayers. And it just uh, made me laugh out loud for a very long time, for a very long time because I could hear what she was saying evocatively. Um, I think there's listening, there's learning, there's doing. Yeah. And um, I, I've often said to people, you know, there is there is how you respond in the moment and some and there's then there's the the mile. But there's also the marathon. Um, and actually, I mean, I, you talk to somebody like Latasha Morrison, the founder of Be The Bridge, she'll say this is a lifestyle we're calling people to. It's a lifestyle. So I think I would want to encourage people. You absolutely. Listen, absolutely. Learn. But then what are you going to do about what you've listened to? What are you going to do about what you've learned? And what does that mean at a local level? um what does that yes what it means for your social media for sure for sure um i I don't want to underplay or overplay that role but but there is a 360 role what does it mean for your school your local school what does it mean for local government what does it mean for your employment practices your employment is there equitable pay in your employment practices um you know are you as you listen and learn what what are you doing with it and is what you're doing reflecting the listening and learning that you're doing so you know for example if you're going to get someone into your place of employment to talk about race um have are you paying for that or are you asking somebody from your team who's frankly already traumatized by half of this stuff to now share their trauma with everybody (laughs) yeah
0: yes yes
1: and expecting them to not only be an expert in their own lived experience but now speak for all as a racial um in just race race um, racial injustice educator is that what we're asking for here uh, yeah. I, I think it's just to keep on thinking some of that st- stuff through I don't want to be too prescriptive but yeah. I um, but I, I, I oh you know there is one other thing I would say
0: yeah
1: how will you prepare for the crisis fatigue you're inevitably going to experience about this the moment that you're going to be offended by the moment that's so uncomfortable because it's sacrificial the moment that's like dang it I'm just trying to do the right thing, people. I didn't mean to say it and now someone has devoured me because I didn't say something the right way on Twitter. How, what's after that? Hmm. How, how are we going to, when you're just tired and, you just, and you, you're not saying you're proud of it, but you just want to go back to a way when it was easy, when you didn't have to think about those things. And you know it's a privilege to be able to think about it and check out, but you still want to check out. What are you going to do then?
0: I have not stopped thinking about her teaching her daughter how to drive and that story, as well as a lot of things that Joe said. I am very grateful for her and for her time. In case you are not following Joe on all socials and in case you don't have her book, a good place to start would be joesaxton.com. That is in the show notes. And I would encourage you to check out her book and to pay attention to all the things that Joe is writing, saying podcasting. She is a really good person and I appreciate her voice a great deal. The conversation that has started here today, you will hopefully continue on our social media all of them, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all New Activist is and our website is newactivist.is you can share episodes and get people caught up on our old conversations there. A huge thank you to Propaganda who scored today's episode. Go to his website, Prop Hip Hop, for all the latest on music, merch, coffee merch, all of that stuff. PropHipHop.com. And with that, we go back into the world on behalf of Joe Saxton, as well as my colleagues at International Justice Mission. I am Eddie Koffolds. Take care, friends.